would take your Bibles and turn back to Luke chapter 1 that we read a little bit earlier. We're looking at those two texts, Luke 1 and 18, and connecting them for missions. I think most of us know the very famous opening lines of Mission Impossible. Your mission, what does it say? Should you choose to accept it? Then it's followed by what the mission is, and the concluding statement may be more popular. This message will self-destruct in five seconds. But what you might not know about Mission Impossible is that it didn't start with Tom Cruise. Rather, it goes back all the way to a TV show that started in 1966, starring Peter Graves. The closing line back then was, this tape will self-destruct in five seconds. If you look at it, it's a little reel-to-reel tape. I think they would think it's impossible since then, all the things that we've done in technology and advancements, but that's how it ended. Biblically, Mission Impossible goes way back further than any movie or TV show. In fact, it goes back biblically thousands of years, and it doesn't feature Tom Cruise or Peter Graves. But when you talk about God's Mission Impossible, he had a lot of special agents through the centuries, and of the likes of Noah, Moses, Joshua, Gideon, Samson, Ruth, Esther, Nehemiah, King David, and on and on, and many, many more. Each of them, to continue the analogy, was presented with an impossible mission of their own. Building an ark for 120 years, gathering all the animals into it, delivering Israel from Egypt through impossible things, as so they thought, plagues, walking through the middle of the Red Sea, conquering Canaan, having the walls of an impregnable city like Jericho fall down, defeating 186,000 Assyrians with only 300 men who carry the greatest weapons, not so much, trumpets, empty pitchers, and torches. One little teenage boy with sling and stones takes down an eight to nine foot giant. All of them impossibilities. And all of God's special ages throughout the pages of scriptures were people who chose to accept the impossible mission of their day. And rather than God's message self-destructing in five seconds, it has been self-constructing over the last five millennia because God has been in all of those stories. All of the previous impossible situations and missions, I can say, pointed to the one climax, the one impossible mission that all the other missions looked forward to. You see, because God's greatest special agent is none other than his own son, Jesus Christ. He would be the one to complete the most strategic victory of all times. He would defeat humanity's greatest enemies, sin and hell and death. He has conquered the ultimate impossibility. And if you, this morning, as a Christian, you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are also on a mission. Our church is on a mission And our mission is no longer impossible, but it's been made possible to reach all the nations with the message of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. But I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit because I want to go back and take some time this morning and show you from Luke's gospel how Mission Impossible started and how the climax of God's mission ended and what that means in between for those of us who are on mission So if you're in Luke chapter 1, 
I want you to think about this. This message this morning is really foundational for all the other messages in October on Sunday morning. Jesus, through his life and death, has made the most impossible mission possible. Let me say it again. Jesus Christ, he, through his life and his death, he has made the most impossible mission, reaching the nations and seeing people get saved, possible. So we're going to unpack it, just two things. We're going to look at them, the beginning and the end, and what's in between. Number one, Luke chapter 1. If you're there in your scriptures in verse 26, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Now, when I read that verse normally, you would think it is Christmas time, right? So we know the Christmas story in Luke chapter 1. And by the way, how many of you have already seen, started singing Christmas crowds, listening to music? Good, because I was going to have to pray for you this morning because it's, it's way too early for Christmas messages. But the story is the beginning. Now, you may not see it. You may think of Luke 1 as the Christmas story, Jesus coming into the world, born in a manger and all of that. But have you ever thought of it as the beginning of the climax of the great mission, the impossible mission of God? See, because missions without God is impossible. Therefore, missions without Jesus is impossible. And so Luke goes out of his way to show how the beginning of the climax of God's mission started. And he goes out of his way to demonstrate to his readers and to all of us this morning that Jesus' birth was impossible. And let me clarify, with man, as we're going to find out, but never with God. Never with God. And so I want you to look at Luke in the passage we read and a little bit more to it than we read. In this way, there is a lesser impossibility that God uses as an example for Mary, who he asks her to do the greater impossibility, and we're going to look at both of them one at a time. As I read just a moment ago in verse 26, but also in verse 36, this paragraph is framed out by the little phrase, which doesn't seem like much, in the sixth month. But if you look back, look at the text a little bit earlier, verse 24, it's talking about Elizabeth. And it says that she's been hiding the fact that she's pregnant for the last five months. So five months since she has conceived have taken place. And now it brings us to the time in the sixth month, see? And that's, see, our passage actually is bracketed by a little statement of time that shows it's impossible. The whole thing has been impossible for Elizabeth. Why? Because if you go back to chapter 1 and Luke and verse 7, you'll find out this tragedy that Elizabeth was barren. She had been married for many, many years, but she could not have a child. And what Luke does on purpose, listen, follow, he begins to pile up words. He begins to pile up descriptions of impossibility because he wants you to see what man cannot do and what God can do. So it says that, number one, she's barren. And the word Greek the Greek word for barren is we get our English word steroid from. She's infertile. She cannot have any children. In fact, the Bible goes on to say that both of her and her husband are advanced in years. Literally, in the original language, advanced in years means to go on and on in days. If you're getting older, you know exactly how that feels. We might say today that Zacharias and Elizabeth were on Social Security. And they were using Medicare. And they had gone past plan A and plan B. They are on plan Z. They'd lived so long. 
They had been around a long time. The Bible doesn't give an exact number to their age, but in their day, let's put it this way, she was way beyond the possibility of having children. But see, God wants you to know, and even in verse 25, if you look there, that it was a disgrace for her. It was a reproach for her. If you could not have a child, God had cursed you, especially if you could not have a male child because you would have to continue your family. You had to continue your business, your work. You had to have male children to continue all that, and only by God's blessing did you. So here's what she looks like for years, that God is not with her, that God has not blessed her, and he's cursed her. There must be something wrong with Elizabeth and Zacharias. And in the midst of an impossible situation, Here's what Mary should learn, that God can do the impossible. To a couple that had been faithful to him, who had gone through all kinds of public humiliation and shame, that God had not forgotten them. See, Zacharias, like us, didn't catch all of that. He didn't believe it all. In fact, you know he should have. Because the Bible is filled with, did you know that Elizabeth being barren wasn't the first time in the Bible that it was so? In fact, if you look at it, there's all kinds of previous impossible birth stories. Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, all the patriarch's wives, Samson's mom, Hannah, and there's a list of all kinds of women that God used greatly in his plan, his mission impossible, all throughout the previous years and stories. Here is Zacharias. He's a priest. He should know those stories. In fact, he has had an angel from heaven come to tell him something. Now listen, you have to understand, it's been 400 years since there has been supernatural revelation. 400 years. Even longer since there has been any miraculous things take place. So when an angel comes to Zacharias, Elizabeth's husband... You should think he should know immediately something is up. God is continuing the mission, the mission impossible. And now the angel says he's going to do it through my wife. And John the baptizer would be born through him. But see, he didn't catch it. He didn't believe it. You know why? Because Zacharias only saw what man can do. But he didn't see what God can do. And God muted him and he couldn't speak. Until John, it came time to name the baby. And he gives the name. Why? Because he didn't believe that God can do it. But God can do it anyways. And see, what Mary needed to know was this. See, the lesser impossibility, a barren woman having a child in her old age when it was impossible. See, with God, it's impossible. And he brings that story up to her in the beginning and the ending of this chapter because she's going to need it. You know why? Because God's going to ask her to do even greater mission impossible, a greater impossibility, because she's going to have a child, not because she's married and old, way beyond that. She's going to have a child because she's not married and she's young. What a complete difference. See, with Elizabeth having a child, there was precedence. There was five stories of barren women having children. There is no precedence for the incarnation. There is no precedence for having a child and not having a man in your life. It's impossible. It's beyond impossible. And again, Luke stacks up the words because he wants to impress it. See, the Bible says, and look at verse 127, Luke. It says twice in the same verse. Now, 
the angel came to a virgin. And then it says again, a virgin. And it's the Greek word that's used in the Septuagint for Isaiah 7:14, the prophecy about what would happen to Mary. And a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. It's the exact same word. It is the word for virgin. But that's not the only word he uses. Look at verse 34. Again, translated virgin, but it's not the same word twice used in verse 24. It's a different word. In fact, it's a little bit of a phrase. And the phrase says this, I don't know a man. See, both of our texts, Luke 1 and 18, are going to have this comparison. Man can do, God can do. What man can do, what God can do. See, here's the problem. She doesn't even have a man. There's no resources. It's not that her man is weak or limited. She has none. She has, Luke puts, betrothed, another word. She doesn't live with Joseph. She still lives at home. They're really engaged, we would call today. It's impossible for her to have a child. No man, no sexuality, nothing. I don't know a man. But she's going to learn this, that you don't need a man, even with that, with God. Jesus said in Matthew 17 and verse 20, these words, If you have faith of a grain of a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move here and over there, and it will move. And here's how, he says, and nothing will be impossible for those who believe. Nothing will be impossible for those who believe. You see, the question is, for Mary and for us, will you believe that God can do the impossible? See, will Mary accept her impossible mission? Will she choose to accept it? Because listen, if she does, it will cost her. It is amazing that God can create a child out of nothing by the Holy Spirit. It is amazing. But with that amazing impossibility that she prayed for, and we also pray for, I should say, in our lives, it comes across at times because people will think that you had some other man in your life, not Joseph, or you and Joseph have been together, but you shouldn't have been because you're married. In all of her life, she's going to live, even in Jesus' ministry, they even say to Jesus, we, will not, we were not born of fornication. See, her whole life, accepting to choose the mission impossible was going to make things difficult in her life. Will she believe that God can do it? See, will she can believe that God can do it where man can't do it? Zacharias didn't. He asked the question this. Listen, he says, how can this be? See, how, he doubted. He wanted a confirmation where Mary's question, how will this be? She wanted an explanation. She wanted to know, see, God, I know you can do it. I just don't know how you're going to do it. That's the kind of faith that impossible faith breeds. Hebrews 11, don't turn there, just listen. Hebrews 11 talks about Abraham. And Abraham had the same experience that Mary's having way, way, way before way back early in Mission Impossible. And he faced impossibilities. And in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 17, it says that God asked Isaac, Abraham to offer up Isaac on an altar. Now, you have to go back a few years and know this, that impossibility number one in Abraham's life was that he was old and his wife was barren. Same thing as Elizabeth and Zacharias. God brings Isaac in the world, and he would have never thought it was possible after all these de decades. Abraham was 100 years old. 
and Sarah was 90, but they have a child. Impossibility. What an amazing thing. But it wasn't just that, the lesser impossibility, that a barren woman would have a child. No, there's a greater impossibility that he asks of Abraham. Take your son, who's probably in his early 20s, that I have promised that your seed will come through and you will not get another one. He says, I want you to offer him up on the altar. Now, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 19 says this, but Abraham considered, and it's the word legizomai, it means logic. There is a spiritual logic to Christians who have faith and believe in God that he can do the impossible. It's an impossible logic. Listen, there was no precedent for resurrection. There had never been in recorded Bible history anyone who had died and God brought back to life. Never had it happened. There had never been a virgin birth. There had never been anything like that. And Abraham would say there had never been anyone who raised from the dead. But here's what the Bible says, that he believed God. He considered what God can do. And although he couldn't explain it, he didn't know how, here's what the Bible says, even to raise him from the dead, even There had never been anything like it, but yet he believed it. Mary and Martha were waiting for Jesus in John chapter 11. Jesus didn't come. He loved them, but he didn't show up. And Lazarus, their brother, dies. And Martha, and there's a little kind of like a walkway up to where they lived, and there's an open area, and Martha ran down and met Jesus there where Mary stayed by the tomb area. And Martha says to Jesus, If you would have come, my brother wouldn't have died. And Jesus says to her, your brother will rise on the last day. And she says, I know that. See, she believed in the impossibility rising from the dead someday in the future. But you know, she had greater faith than that. Because she says, even now, Lord, even now, I believe that God will give you whatever you ask. Do you see the faith that she has? I I believe you'll resurrect him someday, but Lord, I really believe right. You could do it now. You could do it now. Now listen, that's incredible because there was, yeah, there had been people die that were raised in the past, but not anyone who had been dead four days. There was no precedent for it. In fact, they don't even want Jesus to open the tomb. Why? Because he smelled. You know why? Because he was beyond death. He was beyond death. Because he was rotting. See, he was beyond a miracle. He was beyond possible raising from the dead. Someone dies, and in a few hours, they raise him back. But four days later, it's impossible. But Martha believed, and she says, even now. Do you have even now in your vocabulary of faith? Do you? Do you believe that God says, even though everybody else says, oh, it's way too late, it's impossible, that would never happen. Martha says, even now, Lord, do we believe that? Do you believe that? How about in your marriage? Oh, there's no way. You know how bad and how long our marriage has been bad? If you knew what it was like in my home, that'll never happen. Do you believe that God can do that? Oh, my children, they're so far, they've grown up, they are rebellious in my house, they've grown up to be rebellious, they don't go to church, not even interested in God. Do you believe that God can totally change them around? Totally turn them around? Do you believe God can meet your financial need that you think is overwhelming, impossible? Do you believe that God has the ability to overcome the sin that you're being defeated by, that's holding you captive day after day? Do you think that he could free you and loose you from those things? Martha would have. 
See, Mary did. Because God is the God of the impossible. But if you see God through your circumstances, instead of seeing your circumstances through God, you won't believe. Judges 6 tells that story. Gideon, he knew all the stories about God. He knew all the stories and the impossible things that God had already done. But he's hiding out in a cave And he's beating out the wheat in a wine press. Why? Because he's afraid of the Midianites who have come and stolen everything and they are dominating them. And he hides out just to meagerly get by with him and his family. He's hiding. And one day the angel of the Lord appears from him and says, Mighty man of valor, which for him would have been a joke. And he says, Go deliver Israel. And here's what Gideon says. If God is with us, Isn't that what the angel says to Mary? Hail, favored one, the Lord is with you. If God is with us, you know what? Where are all the miracles that our fathers told us about when he delivered us from Egypt? See, he knew about the miracle. He read about the miracles. Sound familiar? That's us. He knew that God, in recorded scripture, had done the impossible, but he wasn't experiencing it. See, he knew about the exodus and all the impossible plagues going through the reds. He knew that God could deliver him and give freedom, but he himself wasn't experienced, and so he didn't think it could ever happen. See, if you look at your life, and we as a church look at our lives, and we see God through our circumstances, well, I know God, that was in the Bible. You know, and I'm not a Moses, and I'm not a Gideon, and and we get all kinds of excuses, but here's what God says. I am still the same yesterday, today, and forever. I can still do the impossible. I may not, you may not be experiencing it, but that says nothing about the fact that God can do it. He's still the God of the impossible. Zacharias didn't believe it at first, but Mary did. See, here's what the Bible says that she believed. In verse 37, if you look there, it says this, and I'm going to read it literally. Not one word will be impossible for God. I know the English says it a little bit different, but originally this is how it looks. The exact phrasing, which is a little cumbersome, but it is true. Not one word will be impossible for God. What one word? What will not every single thing that the angel would say to Mary, God says, I can do it all. How was God going to impregnate a woman who'd never been married or had a man sexually? He was going to, look at the text, overshadow her. Overshadow her. What is that? Well, in 1 Kings chapter 8 and verse 7, it's the same word about the glory cloud had God's glory presence. It would come over the tabernacle and God would overshadow the tabernacle. It's the same word used in Luke 9, 44, our book, our text. Luke uses it also to describe when the disciples were on the Mount of Transfiguration and the glory cloud came over Peter, James, and John and it engulfed them and overshadowed them. It is the word for God's almighty, powerful presence. And she said this, listen, the angel says to Zacharias, I've came from that presence. I came out of the glory cloud. I came to tell you. And see, Zacharias didn't believe it, but Mary did. She believed that what God used to do is what God still can do. That it wasn't just an Old Testament thing. That it was a God's glory and presence thing. Mary believed that God could cause her baby's birth 
not by a man's physical presence, but by God's supernatural glory presence. See, you know what Luke does? Before we go on mission, he wants you to see the beginning of the greatest part of the mission of God started with an impossibility which was not hard for God at all. Because when you think about it, Christmas was impossible. But can I tell you this? Easter was impossible. Easter was impossible. Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane in Luke's Gospel. And he prays this in chapter 22, verse 42. Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Matthew records the same words a little bit differently. Father, if it is possible... Mark adds this, if it's possible, and then he says out of Jesus' lips come these words, because all things are possible for you. You see, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is grappling with impossibility. He's grappling about drinking the cup of wrath. He's grappling with what it would take for him to deliver us from our sins. And God himself in Jesus Christ made the choice to accept the impossible mission. He did it in the Garden of Gethsemane. He says, Father, not my will, but yours be done. I take it. I know that with anyone else, this mission would be impossible to bring forgiveness and salvation. I know it's impossible, but see, it's impossible with man, but it's not impossible with the God-man. And that's who Jesus was. And he could say, Father, I'll do the impossible so that people can be saved. Luke, who wrote our text, also wrote this in his book of Acts. Same author. Listen to his words. It wasn't just Jesus' birth and his death, but his resurrection. Acts 2, 23 and 24. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death. Listen, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Luke ties in the impossible mission with this. See, he died an impossible death to save us from our sins, and he was resurrected. He resurrected from the dead. Not possible, except with him. And on Easter we sing, death cannot keep his prey. Jesus, my Savior, he tore the bars away. Jesus, my Lord. You see, God did the impossible through Jesus in Mary. Listen, so that he could do the impossible through Jesus in you. What does that mean for missions? Number two, and we're done. The impossibility of Jesus' birth in Mary leads us to the impossible birth of Jesus in you. The last time that Luke uses it, if you want to turn there in Luke chapter 18... He's talking about the rich young ruler. True story. A rich young ruler comes up to Jesus and he asks him a question. In fact, the entire story of the rich young ruler, once in verse 18 of chapter 18 and once in verse 30, it talks about eternal life. This is a passage about how you can know that you're saved. This is a passage about how you can know you have eternal life. You see, because the beginning ends with, starts with an impossibility and the end of the mission, Jesus' death and resurrection, is an impossibility. And in the, in the middle of it, and this story is an impossibility, and the two frameworks can tell you what's going to happen in the, in the middle. 
See, he was asking about eternal life, and he wanted to know, how can I have it? How can I inherit it? He says this, what must I do? See, he didn't understand the impossible. What he had to do, he says, well, I've already done the law. Jesus said, keep the commandments, and he says, I've kept them all. And Jesus says, but have you done this, this, and this? And it's all the back half of the Decalogue. See, it's the relational, social part of it. And he says, I've done all those things. But Jesus sees through the veneer of just merely outward conformity. And he tells them, you lack one thing. Same phrase used in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short. The man fell short. He had done all that he can. He had already shown Jesus, this is what man can do. But Jesus says, see, rich young ruler, you need what God can do. And the problem was not on the outside, but on the inside, because he had a different God, and it was money. He was rich. See, he had a different treasure, and it wasn't Jesus. So Jesus challenges him to get him to understand that you cannot save yourself. See, only God can do that, because it's impossible apart from that. And he says, go sell all you have and give it to the poor. Why? Because if you get rid of all your possessions and give it to the poor, that you'll go to heaven? Not at all. It was a revelation. It was Jesus getting below the surface of this man's to show him what his real need was, his impossible need was. He couldn't save himself. Can I tell you this? Only Jesus, through the power of God and the gospel, can change someone on the inside. See, he offers to this man a completely new value system, a completely new way to treasure, to find what is ultimately valuable and important in his life, and he turns it down. In fact, Jesus watches him walk away, and the Bible says he was very sad because he rejected Jesus tampering with his desires and what mattered most to him. See, if you don't let Jesus change you on the inside, it is impossible for you to have eternal life impossible but again like in the beginning story in luke 1 and luke 18 he gives stories right around the main text to show you that god can do the impossible because although the rich young ruler rejects him move over one chapter to zacchaeus in 19 and zacchaeus is super rich but yet jesus comes to his house And that day, Jesus says, salvation has come to your house. And here's a rich man, unlike the rich young ruler, this rich guy, he gets saved. And he comes out of the house and says, I'll give it all back. I'll give fourfold to all those people I've ripped off. Why? Because he's been changed. The impossible has taken place. He's been changed not externally, internally first. And now money isn't his treasure. He's been freed from it. Joseph of Arimathea at the end of Luke's gospel shows up at the tomb of Jesus and he spends, we would say today, tens of thousands of dollars just to give spices to Jesus' burial. Why? Because the rich man, Joseph of Arimathea, has been changed from the inside out. He has become a follower and disciple of Jesus Christ. See, you cannot do the impossible, but Jesus can. If God says it was impossible for Jesus to be held by death and Jesus comes to live in you, don't you think it's possible for him to lose all of the things that you're struggling with? 
See, he can loose money's hold on you. He can loose pornography's hold on you. Drugs and alcohol do not have to enslave you. Hatred, bitterness, unforgiveness, see, it doesn't have to control your life. Why? Because Jesus can do the impossible. He did it in Mary so that he could do it for you. That's what salvation really is. No wonder Paul says in Romans 1.16, for the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. We are powerless to do the impossible to save ourselves. I want you to think this month that missions could be described in this way. People whom God has done the impossible in and now wants to do the impossible through. See, if you're a Christian this morning and you know Christ, he's done the impossible in you. Have you thanked him? I remember when my sister Molly was about eight or nine years old and she started getting bruises for no reason. She was at school in the playground and she was getting bruises. No one was pushing her down. She wasn't falling or hurting herself in any way. And she started getting bruises. This started on her arms and then her legs. So we took her to the doctor. My parents did. And my daughter, my daughter, my sister Molly had a disease, a blood disease. And the doctor says, unfortunately, that when you push her, it breaks all the blood vessels in her arms, her legs, wherever it is, any touch at all. And my dad says, well, what, are, what can you do? And the doctor said, Nothing. He says, the history of the disease is that 20% are fatal and 80% it heals itself over time. He goes, well, how can I know which one she'll be? He goes, you won't. Not for three months. My sister couldn't go on the playground. She couldn't do a lot of things. And my parents literally were upset. I remember my dad calling Pastor Snavely, our pastor, having come over. I remember seeing my dad and Pastor Snavely on the ground praying in our garage for an impossible healing And time passed, and my sister's bruises got better, and she lived. God can do the impossible. It's not just something that happened in the pages of Scripture. It can happen today. It can happen. But as much as that is a great example of God doing the impossible, do you know it's even more impossible, beyond possible? It's people saving, God saving people who right now are rejecting him. That means this. You know he can do it. Let's believe it this way. Let's go out and witness. Let's go out and evangelize. Let's spend our money and let's spend our time and let's get together and let's reach our neighbors. Let's reach those people in our family that we've perhaps in our minds have written off. She'll never believe. Oh, he'll never believe. They can believe. You know why? He can do the impossible. He can change Zacchaeus's. He can change Joseph of Arimathea. Yes, he can heal people of cancer. He can, those are great. But the greatest impossibility is he can turn someone's life inside out for eternity. He can do it, and he wants to do it through you. He wants to do it through me. That's what missions is. Have you been changed? Did he do the impossible in you? Does that move you? Don't you want to bring the impossible, powerful gospel to others? You know it can work. There's precedent, see? People have been saved. You have been. People from the nations could get saved. I can tell you stories of downtown of gang members who came to know Jesus Christ. 
People who were sexually deviant came to Jesus Christ. People who were involved in drugs, crime, violence, been in prison, you name it. It doesn't matter what it is because God can do with man. Jesus told the disciples about rich young ruler, impossible, verse 37, verse 27. But with God, all things are possible. Let's pray that way. Let's witness that way. Let's serve that way during Missions Month. Let's do that. Let's believe and ask God, do the impossible through Faith Baptist Church. Do the impossible through my small group. Do it through my family. Do it through my life. God, we still believe. We still believe. Let's pray. With every head bowed and every eye closed and no one looking around, Not an invitation so much this morning as a question, more or less. Do you still believe that? Do you see God through your circumstances, your impossible circumstances, or do you see the God who can do impossible through your circumstances? Do you get so anxious and fret and nervous and fearful about things that look impossible, or do you say, I believe God, I believe you got this? You remember what Shadrach, Meshach, I don't know if he will, but I know that he can. Even if. Do you have even now in your vocabulary, even if in your vocabulary? Do you have that in your vocabulary of faith? Do you believe that? Let's practice it this month. Let it give you boldness. Let it push you to your knees. Let it open your mouth to speak the truth in love. Let it help you conquer fear and sin Let it rearrange your value system and your priorities and give God and the church and what his mission is. Let that become crucial and most important in your life. See, it can still change lives today. We believe that or we wouldn't be here, no? It's time that we walk our talk. Let's pray it. Let's live it. Let's witness it. Let's believe it to the glory of God. Our Father, help us. We believe that you can still do it. We still believe that you're a God of the Exodus. You're the God of the conquest. You are the God of Abraham and the God of Mary. And we believe that the incarnation, the crucifixion, the resurrection, and salvation itself are no longer missions impossible. They are mission possible with you. God, I pray that as our people today have heard the offer presented Join me. Here's your mission impossible that everyone would accept it and that we would act on it and lives would be changed. Impossible situations would be changed for your honor and glory alone. And we'll thank you ahead of time for what you're pleased to do that only you can do and man cannot. In Jesus' name, amen.